We are going to be going into Romans chapter 10 today, so uh, if you have your Bibles with you, you can open up at Romans chapter number 10, and uh, we are going to look at something which I believe is too good not to share, right? Too good not to share. I don't know if you have um, ever experienced things in life that are just too good not to share, but there are so many things like that. Like, nobody sits watching a sunset over the ocean, you know, the sun is going down, the clouds are all beautifully arrayed in the sky, um, and just sits there looking out over all of it, thinking to themselves, I'm so glad that I'm looking at the sunset alone, right? Like nobody ever has that thought. Whenever we experience those great moments in life, you, you want to share it with somebody, right? You want to be able to, to share in that moment with somebody else. Like nobody sits there going, I'm so glad I'm alone right now in this beautiful moment. Unless, of course, like me, you have small kids, and then you may very well be glad to be alone. Like, there are moments where I'm like, I am so glad there is no one with me right now. Um, but if you don't have kids, then we, you want to share those moments. You want to you uh, uh, help others and have others experience it with you. And, um, and I think this is why we invented Instagram. I think this is why the world came up with the idea of Instagram and the idea of social media, because now you can, you can take a photo of that sunset and you can post it on Instagram and you can hashtag no filter and, uh, and, and other people can like it and then at least you feel like you're not alone, right? This is why we invented these kinds of things, because we don't wanna feel alone even when we are. And so as private as our world has become, and, and our world has really become a privatized world, we, we rarely share our lives the way that people in the past have. We, we don't believe in community as much as we used to, and, and we don't engage in it because everybody kind of has their own private religion and their own private world, and you know, we go to work and we get in our cars and we go home and we sit behind locked doors and, and, and we just sit in front of the TV, and people are just in general very private today, and, and so as, as private as our world has become, we are created as deeply communal people. We actually crave and long for community. The problem with true community is that true community requires true commitment. People come uh, into a, a setting like this oftentimes, and, and they'll just you know, stay on the outskirts or on the fringes and never really lean in and then wonder why they're not engaging or why they're not connecting and why they still have a longing to connect. But as a community and as people, we're created for connection. We're created for love. We're created for shared experiences. And so when we experience something really great, we want to share it far and wide. We want to connect over that experience with as many people as we can. And so I really believe that everyone is an evangelist, right? Everyone is an evangelist. All of us are evangelists because when you've seen a great movie or when you've visited an incredible place or when you've tasted some really good food, then you wanna, you wanna share it with people. You wanna let people know. You'll, you'll, you'll phone somebody, you'll tell your friends about it, you'll, you'll sit around the braai and you'll talk about it or you'll post it on social media. Or, you know, I, I remember going um, and walking into a store and finding that there was a 75% off sale. Like if you discover a really good sale, some of you don't tell your friends because you don't want them to wear the same stuff that you're gonna buy. But for those of us less selfish, what we do is, we, I, like, I remember walking to the store once, there was a 75% off sale, and I texted my brother, I texted my dad, I texted my friends, I was like, you've got to get here, and you've got to come and see how amazing the sale is, just don't buy these items, because I already have them, right? So, so we want to share things um, you know, that, we, that we love, we all do it naturally, all of us 
are evangelists um, just by nature. And so some of my favorite movies I have seen over and over again, not just because I've watched them myself over and over again, but because whenever I find someone who hasn't watched the great movie that I've watched, I evangelize them in regards to that movie, and I'm saying, you've got to watch this movie, and then to make sure that they do it, I watch it with them. Does anybody, is anybody else like, with, like me? Like, I watch it with them, and then I enjoy it even more watching it with them than I enjoyed it watching it myself, because it's like, I'm seeing this for the first time, and I'm kind of like, every now and again, I look over, and I'm like, it's good, eh? It's good. <laughs> Right? So amazing. And so um, some things are just too good not to share. If you're taking notes this morning, that is the title of my message. And uh, it's going to come from, from Romans 10. But I have to make this confession just about myself. For those of you that know me, for those of you that um, have, have been involved with my life for any you know, matter of time, you'll know that I'm a serial evangelist, all right? This is really how I am. I'm a serial evangelist when it comes to anything, right? Um, any, um, it's, it's my leadership style. It's, it's how I lead. It's my mode of operation. My passion is to influence people to help them experience the things that I've experienced and the things that I love and the things that, that, that I have found to make an impact in my life. And, and so, um, that's really what my leadership style is like. You can ask Will. He's one of my best friends. I'm constantly trying to get Will to do stuff, to visit new places, to eat new food. I'm like, you just got to try it. And sometimes I'll apply a little bit too much pressure and, uh, and whatever, but Will loves me anyways. And, and, um, but I'm like that. I'm, I'm a serial evangelist. And so it's, it's just how I lead. But more than any movie that I've ever watched or any new place that I've visited or any story that I can tell you, about some adventure that I've had, my absolute greatest adventure, my swan song, the message of my life, the one thing that I wish I could have every man, woman, and child on this planet recognize is to see, to taste, and to know the great love that God has for us. Like, it's, it's, I'm more passionate about that than literally anything else in the world. I want people to know the grace of God. I want them to know how much He loves you. I want, I want you to know how much uh, He has done to make you right with Him. I want you to understand this basis that we have, this great grace that we have in order to have a genuine relationship with God. Because when you have tasted it, when you have seen it, when you've come to know and to believe the great love that God has for you, you will never be the same again. It literally changes everything about your life. And to know the gospel and to know the grace of God changes the way that you relate to Him and the way that you understand God and the way that you, that you, that you um, communicate with Him and have fellowship with Him. So I honestly do not have a greater story to tell. I do not have a greater story to tell. There couldn't be a more liberating, more passion-inducing, more life-changing message than the message of the good news of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. The message of what He has done for us in, in order to, to make us right with Him, not because we are good people, not because we are principled people, not because we are disciplined people, even though principles and discipline and all those things are good. We are not made right with God because of our goodness, but because of what Jesus has done for us in spite of our badness, in spite of our ugliness, in spite of our rebellion, in spite of our, 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 our selfishness. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is the good news. That is the message that is too good not to share. The grace of God 
that is better than any of us could have could hope for or, or have imagined. And so every week, that's genuinely what I try and express. We always say that our church, our number one value is that it is all about Jesus. We want people to know Jesus. We want them to know Him and what He has done for us. He is the, the cornerstone of our faith. He is the epicenter of everything that we believe. He is the source of our life. This is not a self-help program because the problem with self-help is that you're always being helped by someone who needs help, right? And we, we, need, we need help, so we're not here to help ourselves. We're here to receive help from our Savior. And so it's always all about Jesus. That what, that's what our church is really about. And... Um, and so every week, this is what I'm trying to express, in every conversation, I'm like, I'm trying to tell people, you've got to see how good this is. You've got to see how amazing this news is that we have in the Bible, that this is not a book of rules, this is not even a manual for life, please don't call it that. It's an introduction to a person called Jesus. Through this, we experience His person, not just a roadmap, not just steps that we're going to try and take in our own strength, but a person called Jesus. We get to taste we get to see, we get to experience, we get to encounter the true and the living God through His Spirit, through these words. Jesus says, you, you search the Scriptures because in them you think you'll find life, but these Scriptures, these words, are the ones that testify about me. So through the Word, we meet our Savior, and it's, it's all about Jesus, it's all about His love. If you see Christianity as a system, if Christianity for you is a system, or a religious program, or a set of rules to live by, you will judge people who fail to live by them. You will judge people who fail to live by them. And spend all of your energy trying to get people to modify their behavior, if you see it as a system or a, or a set of rules. But when you recognize, as Paul expresses in Romans 10, and we're gonna get into that in a moment, but when you recognize that the message of the Bible is not a program, but a person called Jesus, and that the good news is that all of us have been made right with God by His grace, then your concerns will shift from getting people to adapt to getting people to adopt. To adopt by faith what Jesus has done instead of adapting their behavior to some sort of a, a, a social standard. You'll go from getting people to do things to getting them to believe in what has been done for them already through the cross. You'll go from sharing good advice to sharing good news, and this is the best flippin' news that is out there, right? It reminds me of when I was driving in the car with my boys, and I turned around, I've got three boys, and they're sitting in the back, um, a six-year-old and two four-year-olds, and I turned around and I said, boys, daddy loves you so flippin' much. And Jude said, dad, flippin' is a bad word. And Leo concurred, and he was like, yes, dad, you're not allowed to say that. And then Eli turned around and he said, no, boys, um, when you, you're, you're allowed to say flippin' when you're talking about love, okay? <laughs> so <laughs> that's the one circumstance where flippin' is okay. And so this morning I can say that because I'm talking about the great love that God has for us. And so I'm allowed to use that word just in case you were wondering. And, um, and so you can turn with me to Romans 10 this morning. And in Romans 10, Paul wishes that his fellow countrymen, he's expressed this before, we looked at Romans 9 last week about the surprise of heaven and how God saves people that we would want to condemn, that we would want to put on the outside, that we would want to ostracize and, and declare unfit for salvation. God says, I'm sovereign and I'll save people by my grace. That's how I'll do it. And we looked at Romans 9 last week, but in Romans 10, Paul again reiterates how he wishes that his fellow countrymen, uh, the Pharisees and the Jews and the people of Israel could see how good the gospel is. 
and that they would just receive it as a free gift, that they would just receive it into their hearts by faith. But there's something keeping them from receiving by faith this good news. Sometimes the gospel to us seems too good to be true and we reject it. It's, it's too, it seems too simple and we complicate it. And so in Romans 10 verse 1, if, you, if you've got your Bibles open, Romans 10 verse 1, Paul writes and he says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, for the people of Israel, is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Some strong statements there. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Let's go ahead and pray together this morning, and then we're going to get stuck into Romans 10 a little bit. Uh, Father, we just thank you so much this morning that your grace is, is all over us, Lord God. We thank you that you are working on the inside of us, that you're redeeming our hearts, that you're sanctifying our spirits, that you are, that you are speaking to our, soul this, our souls this morning, that you are renewing our minds, that your spirit is at work, Lord. We thank you that your word is, is living and powerful, Lord God, that it hastens to accomplish that, that which you sent it forth to accomplish, and it does not return unto you void, Lord God. It is able to cut down even to where the soul and the spirit meet and bring truth into our lives, truth into our hearts, Lord God. We thank you that, that through your word we can encounter your Holy Spirit, we can encounter your Son, and our faith can be encouraged, Lord God. We thank you that the word of the gospel, the word of your grace, the word of the message of the Bible is what brings faith to rise up in our hearts, Lord God. As we hear the word of Christ, we thank you that faith grows within us and that we can trust in you even more, that we can believe in you in, even more, that we can fall in love with you ever more, Lord God. And we, we thank you for this this morning. We thank you for our time together. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen, amen. So Paul says that his countrymen, they have zeal for God, but their zeal is misguided. It's misdirected because it's not according to knowledge. Now, I don't know if this has ever happened to you in life, but there are times when I have been passionate about my stance, passionate about my opinion, and so sincere in what I believe, only to find out later that I was sincerely wrong, right? Anybody ever been in the same position as me, okay? Where you were so sincere, and you were so convinced, and later out you found out it was actually possible, and it's a surprise to us every time, isn't it? Like it's actually possible for me to be wrong. Like, I didn't think that was possible, but then when you find out you are wrong, it's kind of like a surprise every time. And, and uh, I just remember one case where this was true when I was in high school, and I was playing a, a first-team rugby game, and um, I had calculated the score, and it was a really close game, and I had calculated the score in my head um, as a certain score, and when I looked over at the scoreboard, I realized that the scorers had favored the opposition team and had gotten the score wrong. And so I'm thinking, this is already a tight game, and now you guys have got the wrong score on the board, and if we lose this game because the scorers have messed up, I'm going to be really, really mad because we're dying out here on the field for that scoreboard. And so every time I ran past the scoreboard, I abused the scorers and said, get it right. It's not the right score. And I, every time I ran past, I was trying to get them to change it. And they're looking at each other. They're looking at the coaches. They don't know what to do. And after the game, um, you know, I was like, we had the wrong score up there. And the coach looked at me and he was like, no, it was actually the right score all along, Adrian. It, but, and the coach said this, he said, but we enjoyed watching you abuse the scorers, so uh, we, just let it, we just let it go on. But, but I found out that as sincere as I was and as passionate as I was and, and as much as I thought I was right, I was actually wrong. And I was sincere, but I was sincerely wrong. And so many times we find that we're in this position where 
You can be sincere even in your faith. You can be zealous. You can be passionate while all the time being sincerely wrong about how you've thought about God and salvation and righteousness. And so we have to recognize that we can be wrong and that we need the scriptures to inform us. We need the gospel to inform us. So your zeal can be good and it can be true, but it can be not according to knowledge. There's a specific ignorance that the people of Israel walked in, and this is why they weren't able to accept and receive the righteousness that comes from God. They weren't able to experience it. If you're visiting with us today, and you're wondering what does righteousness even mean, because it sounds like you know, such a big archaic word, what does the word righteousness mean? It simply means to be right with God. On what basis do we as people who have made mistakes and are imperfect and are flawed, on what basis do we get to have a right relationship with God where there is nothing standing between us and God, where we can stand in His presence with boldness and and, and with confidence and where we can worship Him and where we can ask boldly when we are in need and and where we can get to experience intimacy with our Savior, with our God. On what basis do we as flawed and imperfect people get to do that? We only get to do it through righteousness through being made right with God or being right with God. And so people have these ideas of how you get made right with God. And so Paul talks about that and he says, this is where Israel's specific ignorance lies. And I believe that it is so much so that in our situation today, for Christians, our ignorance is still greatly in this area where we can be the most zealous Christians, we can be the most on fire guys, we can be jumping up and down in worship, we can have hands uh, raised up high, we can be praying for every second person we walk past, I mean, we could literally be doing anything that we can think of to be a more passionate Christian, and yet we could have the wrong idea about the righteousness of God. Yet we can have the wrong approach to how we get to relate with God, and it's a kind of approach which the Scripture discourages again and again and again. And Paul says their zeal I can testify that they are zealous, but it's not according to knowledge. Religious people are ignorant about how people get to be right with God. And so they're zealous about religious rules or about their pious performance, but not according to knowledge. Why? Why can religious people be so self-righteous? Why do we miss the point so often? Why Why do we misunderstand righteousness? There's there's a great clue here in Romans 10, 1 to 4, that Paul actually shows us why we struggle to accept the grace of God and righteousness as a free gift. Why do we struggle with it? Because we want to establish our own righteousness. We want to establish our own righteousness instead. We want to save some dignity for ourselves. We want to put some part of our salvation down to our own goodness or our own abilities or our own discipline or our own hard works that that we have put in. So wanting to establish our own righteousness, like the Pharisees, we could not submit to God's gift of righteousness through Jesus. You see, you cannot be righteous and self-righteous at the same time. Self-righteousness is the same as unrighteousness. You can't be both at the same time. One is death to self, and the other is the elevation of self. Have you noticed how people who claim to be dead to themselves are often more full of themselves than anybody who doesn't claim to be dead to themselves? Because in trying to crucify themselves constantly, they're actually resurrecting themselves in a greater way. (laughs) 
because they're constantly so concerned and so aware of how much more dead they are to themselves than other people who are not yet as far down the line of death than them. They're not actually dead to themselves. They're full of themselves. They have zeal, but not according to knowledge. And then you find people who truly walk in righteousness. You know, you get these people that have been Christians for, for decades, these old men and these old women who have been, faithfully, who have been uh, faithfully serving the Lord for years and years and years. And you know what you recognize about them? You recognize that they're humble. You recognize that they don't take themselves so seriously. You recognize that it's not all about them, but they genuinely put the focus on whoever they're around and, and help that person understand the love that God has for them. You, you see something in people that have walked a journey with God that have reached a level of maturity that's just different. It's a true righteousness, not a self-righteousness. And so one is, is death to self, but the other is actually the elevation of self. So if you're going to be made right with God by being very good or very religious you're not going to be able to submit to the righteousness that comes from God. You're trying to save yourself. You're trying to save yourself. That's why Charles Spurgeon said, every man is born a Pharisee. I believe that when Jesus saves us, he doesn't just save us from our sins, but he saves us from other saviors. And do you know who the greatest savior is that we look to other than Jesus? Is ourselves. We try to help ourselves. We try to save ourselves. And so Jesus saves us from the desire to save ourselves, and instead we submit. We submit to God. Paul says that if you're going to submit, then you need to lay your own righteousness down. And you must realize that Christ, putting your faith in Jesus and what he has done for you on the cross, is the end of the law to all those who believe. So straight up, he couldn't say it more clearly. If your faith is in Jesus, stop trying to live by the law because in trying to live by the law, you are assuming that you are good enough to keep God's law perfectly and if you could keep God's law perfectly, you could save yourself. So the more you try and keep the law, the more you are trying to save yourself, the more you're trying to establish your own righteousness rather than submit to the righteousness that comes from God. Now when you submit to Jesus, I believe that he transforms our hearts. The Bible says that the grace of God has appeared to all men, teaching us to deny all ungodliness and to live in purity in this present age. That's what the grace of God does. So I believe that by submitting to Jesus and understanding your righteousness in Him, you would automatically begin fulfilling things, even in the law, that you wouldn't know. But we do it by looking at Jesus, not by looking at the law. All right, does that make sense this morning? We don't want to establish our own righteousness, but we want to lay down that and walk in the righteousness as a gift that we receive from God. The moment you put your faith in Jesus, you stop trying to depend on the law for your righteousness. And this is so important for us to understand. And so this is what Paul says up front. He says, the reason why my fellow countrymen, my brothers, my Pharisees, uh, fellow Pharisees, can't receive the gospel and the salvation that comes through Jesus is because they're still trying to be righteous according to the law. They won't submit to the righteousness that comes from God. And then he essentially goes through superseding the, Jesus over the law. He, he is laying Jesus and, and causing the, the, the gospel to lay a foundation that covers up the law. And so he shows how Jesus is the true fulfillment of the law. And Jesus is the true fulfillment of righteousness in our lives. And this is the good news. He renders the law of Moses obsolete and he says, you don't have to try and be good in your own strength anymore, God will accept you and receive you by faith 
in His Son alone. That's the best news. That's the news that's too good not to share. Otherwise, we end up like what Brennan Manning says. If we don't really know that we're sinners that cannot fulfill the law, and we still depend on our own righteousness, this is what will happen to us. Brennan Manning says this. He says, many of us pretend to believe we are sinners. Like, we don't really think we're sinners. But, oh, I'm kind of a sinner. So we pretend to believe that we're sinners. Consequently, all we can do is pretend to believe that we have been forgiven. As a result, our whole spiritual life is pseudo-repentance and pseudo-bliss. You need to really know that there is nothing good that dwells in you, that you are a sinner beyond the, the, the capacity or the ability to save yourself. And in that moment, you put your faith in Jesus, and then you truly repent, and you truly experience the, the, the bliss and, and the beauty of salvation. We need to be honest if we're going to experience the goodness of God. So Romans 10, verse 5, here's where, 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 where Paul um, says some stuff where if you've read Romans 10, probably confused you, and you're like, okay, I'm going to skip. There's another section I'm going to skip um, in my Bible. Like, no highlighters normally happens. No highlighting happens over here. If you highlight in your Bible, this is the part that's normally blank because no one knows what this is about. Um, so I'm going to quickly try and show it to you today. But uh, Romans 10, 5, he supersedes Jesus over the law. And he says, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. That the person who does the commandments shall live by them. If you're going to live by the law, then you must do the commandments, and then you must find your salvation in the commandments. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if, we confess with, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So he's superseding here. And what we don't recognize is that Paul is actually referring back to a bunch of Old Testament scriptures, uh, specifically around Moses establishing the law. And so, so he, he's, he's trying to show us again and again that the Old Testament quotes about the law and righteousness can only truly be fulfilled in Jesus. And so um, I'm going to try and show you this real quick, that, that, that these are the words of Moses recorded in the Old Testament. So what it says there in Romans 10.5 is that Moses writes about the righteousness based on the law. So it tells us that this is something Moses wrote about, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. All right. So let's look at these scriptures. So Leviticus, uh, in Leviticus 18, verse 5, it says, You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. This was the commandment. This was the law in the Old Testament. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. If a person does them, if you're able to do them, then you will be able to find salvation in them. But there's an obligation that comes with this. That if you're going to live by the law, you've got to live by all of the law. You can't pick and choose the laws. So whenever people tell me that we've got to live by the law, I'm like, do you know all 613 of them or are you just going on the Ten Commandments? Because even the Ten Commandments, if we had to put our hands up about who's failing at those and who's winning at those, we'd all be very, very shy to put our hands up today. So, but do you know all 613? And I often ask people, you know, some of the, some of the crazier laws out there in, in, in the time of Israel was, for example, that um, you had to break a goat's neck by the river every time there was an unsolved murder in the city. So have you been doing that? Because here in Joburg, there'll be very few goats left, right? <laughs> a lot of goat murder happening. Because that's the law of Moses. Are you fulfilling the law? Are you, let's live by it then. Are you fulfilling it? It says that you have to have a fence around your roof 
Because if somebody sleeps outside on your roof at night and rolls off, their blood will be on your house. Do you all have fences around you? Come on, those of you who will live by the law, where are the fences around your roof? And those are just two of the 613 laws about all kinds of ceremonial laws and all kinds of things that we're supposed to fulfill, yet people claim that we're going to live by the law. But what Paul says is, if you're going to live by the law, and Moses says this, if you're going to live by the law, you're obligated to keep all of them. He repeats this in Galatians when he talks about Christians who are trying to follow the law. In Galatians 5.3, he says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision, which was the sign of the covenant and the law, that he is obligated to keep the whole law then keep all of it. Then become an Orthodox Jew and keep all of it if you're going to do that. And God help you if you break one of them because in the book of James it says if you have broken one of the laws, you have broken all of them. So you're guilty. So in other words, if you can live and find your righteousness by living and following the law perfectly, never committing any sin, never betraying God or betraying His Word in any way, never overstepping the line in any moment or in any circumstance, never having a moment of weakness where you don't completely and fully find uh, or fulfill the law. If you can do that, then go ahead and do it, and then you'll live. Go ahead and do it, and then you'll live. Here's the problem both in the Old Testament and in the writings of Paul, it shows us that we're not able to do that. And God knew that. That's why he gave the law to show us that we couldn't save ourselves. In 1 Kings 8 verse 46, it just simply says, for there is no one who does not sin. Just Old Testament, just so you know, you've all failed at all of this, right? So the whole law salvation thing is not going to work for you. Paul says in Romans 3.23, which we've already covered, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us are guilty before God according to the law. So now Paul says, essentially, there's another way for us to be right with God. There's another way for us to, and this is the good news. He says, but the righteousness, the right standing with God that is based on faith, it looks different. And this is normally where Paul loses most of us because he says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? And we're like, okay, Paul, we did not think you were going to talk about heaven ascending into the abyss and, and all these things that you're talking about. But don't say into your heart who will ascend into heaven to bring Christ down or descend into the abyss to bring him up. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. So it confuses people who don't know that Paul, what Paul is refor- referring to unless you have read Deuteronomy 30 recently. Okay, So let me show you this. Deuteronomy 30 verse 11 says... For this commandment I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. You see, Paul is is actually quoting Deuteronomy 30, when Moses gave the law, and he says, Moses even said to you that don't think that this is is, is beyond you. Don't think that it's too far, that it's up in heaven, or that it's it's beyond the ocean, or that we, we can't do the law because it's in your mouth and in your heart. In other words, it's going to be fulfilled by faith. It's going to be fulfilled by faith. And now Paul is showing us how faith fulfills that in our lives. It gives us the ability to do what we could not have done in our own strength. That's what he's showing us. When Moses spoke about the law, 
he was saying that the ability to walk in the ways of God is to have faith, to live this new life, to have a relationship with God. It's not far away because it's not up to you to get it done. So true obedience has always been in Jesus. True obedience has always come through faith. And what does it mean when it says that, that don't say in your heart that I will ascend into heaven to bring Christ down or, or I will descend into the abyss to bring him up? Essentially, this is what it's saying. Did you get Jesus to come down from heaven? Did you, did you go up into heaven and bring him down? Was it your works and your actions and your faithfulness and, and your, your righteousness that fetched Jesus? Is the incarnation the result of your good works? And similarly, is the resurrection going down into the abyss and causing Jesus to rise up, are you the one that made that happen? So don't say in your heart that you're going to be saved by your own efforts to bring Jesus down or to bring him up from the grave. He did those things of his own accord. He stepped out of heaven willingly in order to save us. He was raised from the dead by the will of the Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by your actions or your works or your religiousness or your righteousness or your anything. It was purely by the grace of God. So don't say in your heart, I'm the one who will cause salvation. God is the one who causes salvation. Does that make sense? None of us can ascend into heaven and bring Christ down. Or none of us could raise him from the dead. Have you ever tried to pray for something to raise it from the dead? I've tried. Early years, found a dead bird in my garden. I'm like, this is my opportunity. I'm gonna, this is my opportunity right now. I'm gonna show everyone. I did it with clouds as well when I was younger. Walk out and I was like, I can command the clouds. And I would command the clouds out at night. I remember the clouds like moving overhead. Command the clouds to dissipate and disappear. And they just carried on being there. And I was like, I need some more work on my faith. I need to, if you ever try to raise, we can't raise anything from the dead. It's not up to us. We're not the ones who caused Jesus to step down from heaven. And we're not the ones who raised him. So we must stop thinking that our righteousness depends on us. We don't have that power. That do not say in your heart is actually a quote, again, from Moses. And listen to this. Deuteronomy 9 verse 4, he says, Do not say in your heart, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. There it is. Don't say in your heart that you live in the promised land, that you have salvation, that you have righteousness because of your goodness. It's not because of your goodness. Do not say in your heart, it is because of my righteousness. But what does it say? Where does that righteousness truly lie? The word, and Paul clarifies that this word is the word of faith. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. To truly fulfill the law, to truly have righteousness, to truly walk in a right standing relationship with God, to truly be saved is to have this word of faith in your mouth and in your heart. Salvation and grace and a new life and all of the righteousness that we could ever hope or dream for is not in your efforts, but in the faith that is in your heart. The faith that you have in the grace of God and the expression, giving expression to that faith in what he has done for you on the cross. And that's why I'm so proud of the people being baptized today. And that's why I encourage people to be baptized because you're expressing with your actions, with your mouth, with your heart, that I believe that my righteousness is due to what Jesus has done for me on the cross. I am not going to say in my heart that it's because of what I have done, not according to our efforts. In Romans 10.10, 10, 
Paul goes on and he says, for with the heart one believes and is justified. How do people take this step? This is often known as the, as the Romans road or the, the culmination of the Romans road. Like how do we get to salvation? With your heart, you believe. It starts, faith starts in the heart. With your heart, one believes and is justified and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, no matter what your background is. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, this is a continuation out of Romans 9, where we think that only religious people or good people or people who pay their taxes or people who stop when the, when the light is orange or, or, or any of those things, we think those people are going to make it into heaven and the rest are not. But this scripture says that regardless of your goodness or your badness, your past mistakes, your flaws, how hard you've worked to be saved or how many times you've failed, no matter what you have done, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord in faith, faith that is in their hearts, a genuine heart faith that, that, that justifies them, they will be made the righteousness of God. That's what it is. We're made right with God. This is good news. This is news that is too good for us to not share. That salvation is not for good people, but for sinners like us, for rebels like us. That it's not for one nation. It's not just for the nation of Israel. It's not just for a certain race. It's not just for a certain tribe. It's not just for a certain language. But it is a free gift for all nations. If, if, if Paul the Apostle or, or, or John um, had an Instagram account, and right now they Instagrammed a photo of heaven, a snapshot of heaven, do you know what we would see? We would see something like Revelations 7 verse 9. Where it says, after this I looked, and behold. This is the, the, the vision that John had of, uh, of heaven. And I imagine just going through my Instagram feed and just seeing this. Wow, this is an amazing photo. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. For from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands. From every nation, from every tribe, from every tongue, from every background, from every socioeconomic group, from every single person group on the planet, God has redeemed people for himself. So it's not just for one nation. It's for all who will call upon the name of the Lord. And that is why there is no one that we ever write off. Have you ever written people off? We do it often. We're just like, okay, well, you know, they're obviously not going to be saved. We can, we can see that right now. They're not going to be saved, so we're writing them off. But the Scripture says that no one is beyond the grace of God. That as long as people are alive, there is hope for them to receive this good news. And that's why it's too good for us to not share, especially with those that are in desperate need. We need to share this. It's why we exist as a church. It's why the vision of our church is to share the hope of Jesus with our city. It's why we started this church. It wasn't so that we could just have a place to go on a Sunday. It wasn't so that we could run Sunday services for the rest of our lives. It wasn't so that we could just kind of hang out and have coffee. It was so that we can share hope with the city. We want people to know this good news. 
we want to be inviting people that we love and we care about and people that we are in contact with, people that we work with and the people that we go to school with and the people that, that, that are uh, you know, just in our lives. We want to be able to invite those people and help them experience this great news that we have found in Jesus, that we have in Jesus. Romans 10 verse 14, Paul goes on to say this. He says, how then will they call on him? Remember, anybody who calls on him will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news on how incredible is it that we can be life-giving people with a life-giving message as part of a life-giving church that we can go into every dark situation that we can go into every broken moment and shine the light of Jesus into those moments that we can take this good news because how will people call upon the name of the Lord if no one has shared the good news with them who are going to be the people that are going to share that good news who, who's going to be the ones that's going to stand by and comfort and, and console and, and speak courage and speak hope into people's lives if we will not do it? We are the body of Jesus. We are His hands and feet. And we are called and graced with this privilege of being able to share this message of reconciliation with the world. The good news. And you're already an evangelist. You're already telling people about the great movie that you watched and the great restaurant that you visited and the, and, and, and the great soccer game that you saw. And you're already telling people about all of that stuff, so why not share the great news of what Jesus is doing in your life? Do you know that that's the one thing nobody can argue with? You know, whenever I share with people, I'm, I don't try and beat them up theologically and come with all kinds of counter-arguments and trap them in their reasonings and philosophy, even though that is super fun and I will do it from time to time. Like, what I, what I really do is I say, hey, you know what God has done in my life? This is what he has done. This is what I experienced when I understood the grace of God. This is how the love of God has touched me personally. And nobody can argue with what God has done in your life. Nobody can argue with a changed life. Nobody can argue with, with, with love and, and wisdom and maturity and, and goodness that emanates forth from within you because of the goodness and the presence of God. And so that's what we are called to share in our city, and that's what we are, are here for today, to make the good news of Jesus known, to see people discover faith in their hearts, to step into that new life. And the baptisms that we're doing today, that's what it represents, coming to this new life in Christ, receiving um, this by faith, this new life, this righteousness, this right standing with God. So my encouragement to you this morning from Romans 10 is twofold. Number one, do not say in your heart that your salvation is because of your own goodness. Receive it as a gift of God's grace. And secondly, knowing that it is the gift of God's grace, extend that grace to everyone you meet. Extend the message of that grace to everybody around you. Let it be known that none of us are good enough to earn salvation, but all of us are welcome at the table of the Lord. All of us are welcome in His presence by His grace and by His goodness. And in that way, we can receive this new life. It is great news. It is the best news. It is flippin' good news. And it's too good not to share. Amen?
Amen. Let's, let's go ahead and, and pray together this morning.